Hey, if you guys have your Bibles, open up Second Chronicles. We're going to take a look, uh, beginning in chapter 17. Um, so, I don't know, say this kind of stuff all the time, but I'm, <clears throat> I am uh, just enjoying <laughs> the study as we go through Second Chronicles because look what it does. It, um, it gives us uh, practical pictures of the reality, the application of lives lived uh, for God. A life lived for Christ. What's that look like? A lot of times, here's what we do. We, uh, we come to faith in Christ and then we start looking at all the bad things we do. And we start saying, you know, I'm going to stop cussing or I'm going to stop drinking or I'm going to stop doing the things I know I'm not supposed to do. And we put our eyes and our focus on all those things, negative things that we're trying to change. We're trying to, to, you know, do a work to, to, to try to, I don't know, walk more like Christ, which is, you know, a, a, a valuable thing. We're just putting all our effort in the wrong place. We put all our focus on the wrong thing. The focus of our lives is not to be fixing the st- stuff we got in our life that are sideways. The focus in our life needs to be to delight in Jesus. To make Him our prize. When Jesus is our prize, when He is that thing that we value more than whatever sin we're struggling with, those sins go away. When when our focus is on the sin, that stays in the forefront of our mind. We battle, battle, battle against it over and over again. Bang our head against the wall. And we get frustrated that we're not experiencing victory. And we come together in church and we talk about the power that there is in the Holy Spirit to equip us, to give us uh, the ability to overcome those issues in our life. And the problem is, we're living our life on the opposite side, or the upside-down part of the teeter-totter. Nobody wants to ride on the bottom of a teeter-totter, right? What happens when it comes down? It's right on top of you. So we've we got to get right side up. Right side up means now I'm looking to Christ, unto Jesus. Look unto Jesus, the writer of Hebrews tells us. The author and finisher of our faith. The one who, in whom our faith originated and through whom our faith is established. That's Jesus Christ, right? Look unto Him, the author and finisher of our faith. Who, for the joy set before Him, endured the cross, despising the shame. How is it that Christ endured the things that He went through? He focused on you. So, we do the other part. Right? I focus on Him. Falling more in love with Christ. When we consider the Word of God, you know, we talk about spending time in God's Word. Spending time reading it. And and a lot of times we struggle in that. We struggle in that idea because we're on the wrong side of teeter-totter. Okay, I'm focusing. I've got to read the Word more. I've got to read the Word more. I gotta, we we got our list of the things i got to do instead of getting it right side up. I want to focus on my relationship with Christ. The Bible says in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among men. And we beheld His glory. Whose glory? The glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Who is that? Jesus Christ. Who is He? He's the Word. My wife's still somewhere. I don't know where she keeps it. She's got a box of all the letters I ever wrote her. When we were just dating, when I was in boot camp, and she was uh, uh, back home. So, um, in boot camp, um, sometimes uh, you regret a lot of the things you did in your life. A lot of the choices you you made and so on and so forth and so we we focus on on those things so i sit down and i'd write and i'd write her you know all these incredible things that that kind of god was working in my heart while i was in boot camp and and actually during boot camp and prior to boot camp and and then just about to the time it was over i was doing okay with god walking with him following him it's later on that that i got off track but so i wrote her all these letters now those letters she still has and when she read those letters, 
She read them and she poured over them and she read them again. And if she was feeling lonely or sad, she read them again. And then if she was, if, if, if things were a little rough or rocky it, later on in our marriage and our relationship, she'd pull those letters out and read them again. Why? Because in those letters written on every page was the love I had for her expressed in writing. And because she loved me, she wanted to connect and she would read. And it's exactly the same thing with the Word of God. It's not a have to, gotta sit down, punch my card, you know, I have to read four chapters today or whatever, the two chapters or a chapter or a verse, whatever. I gotta sit down and do that. No, when we fall in love with Christ, the Bible becomes a love letter. And when, trust me, when I was in boot camp and I got a letter, I, I opened a letter, I kept the envelope, I would lay there at night and smell the letter. I swear that the letter would smell like her. Every once in a while she'd spray something on it. I don't know what she did to it, but it smelled like perfume, you know? And, and I would read it and I'd look at it and I'd cherish it. Because written on that was her love to me expressed in writing. That's exactly what God's word is. For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. Who'd he give? His Son, who is what? God the Word. Right? God the Word. The Word of God. God's expression to you. Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 1, God, who at various times and in various ways has spoken to us through the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us through His Son. Everything God has to express to you is in Jesus. And it's here. The way He loves you, how He cares for you, His desire for you, how He would have you walk, all His direction, it's all here. Rather than focus on, okay, now I've got to start loving God's Word and make myself read it and, and have all these other things to help me understand what it means. No, don't do that. Fall in love with Jesus. Just just fall in love with Him. Because when you fall in love with Jesus, you want it. You want to spend time hearing about Him. Jesus said, you search the Scriptures daily, for, for in these you have life. But it is these that do what? They speak of me. He's all over this. Even in Chronicles. Amazing. He's there. Shocking. So we want to have a rightward focus. So we introduced in Second Chronicles chapter 17 to a guy named Jehoshaphat. You ever heard of jumping Jehoshaphat? So this is Jehoshaphat. Now Jehoshaphat is a son of Asa. Asa was a decent king. Okay? Pretty good guy. But you remember later on in his life he kind of faltered. He, he started strong with the Lord. But later on in his life, he, he just wasn't relying on God anymore. You guys ever seen that in, in life? It's one of the things I love about the Word of God. Is it, it, it doesn't lie to us. If it was a lie, it would tell us how nobody ever has trouble. And everything's smooth. And nobody has crises of faith. And nobody has times where they doubt or struggle. But that's not the story in here. Asa stumbled. Asa tripped up. Asa fell. Asa struggled with some of those ideals. But his son, Asa now has, has died. He's not king anymore. His son has come on the scene. Look at chapter 17, verse 1. So Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his place and strengthened himself against Israel. And he placed troops in all the fortified cities of Judah. He set garrisons in the land of Judah and in the cities of Ephraim, which Asa his father had taken. Now the Lord was with Jehoshaphat. Why? Because he walked in the former ways of his father David. Now we know when we look at the scripture, when the scripture says his father David, you guys know it doesn't mean his father, right? It's like saying his ancestor. The word father could be father, grandfather, great-grandfather. just means he was in the line. What was the example of David? David's called a what? A man after? God's own heart. So, David is a man without a divided heart. The Bible talks about two kinds of hearts. Divided heart. A divided heart is like that guy. You know, Jesus talks about it in the Scripture in Matthew chapter 6. He said, he said, don't store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Why? He says, because where you put your treasure, what's going to be there? 
your heart. And later on in that chapter, he says, man cannot serve two masters. He will serve one and hate the other. Love one and hate the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. In that particular section, he's talking about God and money. What is that? If I'm serving two, we would call that a divided heart, right? The heart is divided. So the idea and the heart after David, man after God's own heart, is his heart was undivided. He delighted in the Lord. Is it bad to delight in the Lord? Oh, that's where we're going to find everything that we're talking about, right? The ability to walk with Him. So he's walking like his father David, with an undivided heart. He wants to please the Lord. You know, we all understand the difference between that. Do we understand the difference between that? Wanting to please the Lord and pleasing the Lord are not always the same thing. God honored David for his desire. Are you with me? He had a desire to please the Lord. So, so he says he's like David. So God is with him. He has a heart focused to God. He did not seek the Baals. That word, Baal, just means lords in, in the Canaanite language. It's uh, a word used to describe the idols that they used to worship in, in uh, the Canaanite land. So he didn't go after idols. He didn't go after false gods. Look at verse 4. But sought the God of his father. He sought him. He sought him. You know, when, when I want to express love to my wife, I seek her out. I want to be where she's at. I want to be where I know she's going to be. Look, if I'm trying to connect with Kathy, there's a certain place I'm not going to go. I'm not going to ever find her in a bar. I'm not ever going to find her at Sportsman's. I'm not going to find her down at the river shooting ducks. She's not going to be there. If I'm seeking after her, I go where she's going to be. She has moved me out of every house, every house, every room in the house. I used to have an office that was a place I could go. It was like Jackie's little man cave, but not. Well, don't get too excited. It wasn't that great a man cave, but it was my place. And, and basically everything she didn't have any place for went into that place. And slowly I noticed that my space in that place got smaller and smaller until one day she changed it all. She took every room in the house. There is a sewing room, a crafting room. Uh, 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 she's got an office and a homeschooling spot. There is. She moved me into the walk-in closet. The walk-in closet is, is what's left of my... So everything of me... All my hunting stuff or my my goose calls or duck calls or whatever stuff I got, that's in a walk-in closet. Sharing space with the vacuum cleaner and everything else. So if I go and I'm looking to connect with Kathy, I'm going to go to those places where I know I'm going to find her. You get what I'm saying? Jehoshaphat sought after God. That doesn't mean you know he was sitting at home one day watching Netflix and he's thinking, man, I really wish I could connect with God right now. He went looking for him. You get it? He went where he knew God would be. Well, at this time, they got a temple, right? They got a place where they can go worship. So he could go to the temple. That's a great place to start, to pray, because oftentimes God would show up there. But, but God doesn't only show up in those places. Doesn't God show up in caves? I mean, Elijah ran and found himself in a cave. Didn't God meet him there? Or, or Moses, didn't God talk to him on top of a mountain? And there are lots of places that we can, if we want to go, seek the Lord, that we can go do that. One of the things you'll never find in Scripture is a man saying, No, I sought the Lord in my living room with a TV on. All you're going to find is, you know, 490 channels of junk. You're not going to find them. He sought the Lord. That's one of the things that... So he's got an undivided heart, and he seeks God. He seeks Him. One of the great ways we can seek Him today is that thing that you're holding in your hand, or that's in the back of the chair in front of you, the, the Bible. He, he's in there, right? God the Word, 
Jesus Christ. He's, he's found in His words. We can find Him in there. They sought God, the God of His fathers, and next, walked in His commandments. And not just like everybody else in Israel. Look, everybody else in Israel wasn't trucking with God. Everybody in Israel wasn't doing the God thing. But he wanted God. He wanted to experience Him. He had a heart that was focused on, I want to delight in Him. I want to find my satisfaction in God. Look, um, I don't know. Maybe it's from almost being 50. I have tasted and seen a lot of stuff. Uh, some of you have tasted and seen more. I think Jeff Masters has way more stuff than because he's so much older than me. No? <laughs> I have I have chased a lot of concepts, of things that I thought were going to satisfy. You know, wine, women, and song, whatever. I mean, you put the title in it. I chased it. Sometimes I caught it. And, and it, it did exactly what Moses, the scripture tells us in Hebrews that it did for Moses. Moses, the time came in Moses' life when he decided rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy what? Passing pleasure of sin. The important part about, look, two important things about sin. One, there's pleasure. Can we all agree on that? The second thing is, it's passing. It don't stay. Is passing. And so many times we know, maybe you know people, I know people who have traded incredible riches in value for passing pleasure. I know guys who have lost their whole family, their children, the relationship that they had at one time with their wife and their entire family all for the passing pleasure of sin that didn't stay. People do it all the time. Moses said, I'd rather suffer affliction. I make a choice. I want to be where God's people are. And here Jehoshaphat says, I want to walk how God walks. I want to be where He's going to be. I want to do what He wants me to do. He discovers that because he's seeking the Lord. And when he's seeking the Lord, he, 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 he's seeking Him because he falls in love with Him. As he falls in love with Him, he notices how Jesus walked. It's hard for me to be judgmental and angry and bitter at people and then read the Scripture and see Jesus reaching down and touching a woman caught in the act of adultery, which, by the way, means she's guilty. Right? So it's not like, well, maybe she wasn't guilty. It was a big trick. No, she's guilty. They say, Scripture says they caught her in the act. So, I would, I don't think it's a stretch to say they drug her naked out to the middle of the street to stone her. I don't think that's a stretch. It says she was caught what? In the act. They bring her to Jesus for judgment. What was the judgment? Hey, stone her. Right? Well, how did Jesus treat her? Yeah, the Bible says he stooped down in the sand and grafe. Grafe means he writes. That word in the Greek means to write intelligently. It doesn't mean he just doodled. We don't know what he wrote, but he wrote something intelligent. And the people standing around saw whatever he wrote. There's no point in speculating what he wrote. We'll never know. All we know is from oldest to the youngest, they all left, right? And after they all left, you have a guilty woman on the ground, guilty. And Jesus says to her, where are your accusers? And she said, there's none here but you, Lord. Now, you know the Bible says Jesus is going to judge all humanity. Do you know that? The Father has given all judgment to the Son. All judgment is committed to Him. He's going to judge the living and the dead. That they will come. He said in the Gospel of John, I did not come into the world to condemn the world. We talked about it last week. Why? The world's already condemned, right? Look, you're guilty. The girl, the woman on the, on the ground in front of him was guilty. There's no one here but you, Lord. What did he say to her? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. 
Well, what right do you have to hold judgment or condemnation against anyone else? That's not the example Christ gave. Now, does that mean I don't have the right to tell someone they're in sin? No, Jesus did that, right? He told her not to sin no more, didn't He? He didn't say, everything you're doing is okay, just go right back there. No, He said, don't do that no more. Go and sin no more. But He didn't bring... He didn't bring that condemnation. He's the judge. The Bible says, judge not lest you be judged, right? Crino, it means... It means don't condemn. That's God's job. Does it mean I can't look at somebody and say what you're doing is wrong? Nope, that's not what it says. I can say that all day long. But my job is not to condemn. My job is to say, here's how God wants me to walk. I'm going to walk His way. I'm going to follow His example. Right? Look, here's what we do. called transference. You're struggling with an area in your life and you don't want to deal with it. Hey, there's nothing new. We all suffer from the same malady. But you know what? I can see it on somebody else. I can look over there and say, you know what? That person did this and that person's doing that. And you see what they just said and word. You know what they just did. And then we usually go find somebody else and we sit down and we start talking to them about it. You know, I know so-and-so did this and -and so-and-so did that, which, by the way, is unbiblical. And we do, in that, something God hates. Proverbs, he said, God hates people sowing discord among brethren. God hates gossip. We spend a lot of time talking about a lot of sin. The church, I mean. Talking about a lot of sin that people are doing. That is sin and it's wrong. But you know, we don't like talking about the gossip thing. Or lying. You know that the Bible says in Revelation chapter 22, a liar is not going to make it to heaven? And we, yet we'll sit back and just comfort ourselves in our lies. What are you saying? I'm saying, stop pointing your fingers at anybody else. And... Focus on your walk. Loving Christ more. And watch God set you free. Love Jesus. And let Him set you free. Walk His way. Seek Him. His path. We can always find problems with somebody else. Here's the challenge. The Word of God is not a flashlight. If you think the Word of God is a flashlight, find the verse and show me. I can find the verse right now that tells you it's a mirror. And what's a mirror do? Shows you yourself. My face. My dirt. My sin. And God challenges me to deal with it. And that's one of the things Jehoshaphat is doing. He's walking with him, not like everybody else. Let's go. He says, therefore, the Lord established the kingdom in his hand. God gave him stability. He had an undivided heart. He sought after God. He walked with God. And God gave him stability. Now, for most of us, is that the experience of our life? Is our life marked with stability? That's what God's Word tells us, right? If we're gonna, if we will make Him the focus. Not all the other stuff. Not all the other things. Him. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you what? The desires of your heart. The desires of your heart. You want the desires of your heart? Love God. What is the one commandment He asks us to do? Love the Lord your God with all your soul, mind, strength. Right? He wants it all. Love Him. Love Him. Love Him. So He was given stability in the kingdom. And all Judah gave presents to Jehoshaphat. And he had riches and honor and abundance. So people gave him presents and they honored him. And they they thought he's a pretty cool guy. And it says, look at verse 6. His heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. And that what the psalmist said? What's what David said? Delight in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. I tell people all the time, man, if you got a dream, you have a desire, you have a thing, and it just churns in your heart that you would love to... Who do you think puts that in you? Well, you can make the case, oh, you know, maybe it's just me. Well, let me tell you this. You want to settle it? Love God with all your heart, and if that desire is still there, it's not from something else. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He'll put desires in your heart. Good desires. 
God, does God want you to have success? Sure. Does that mean it won't be hard? Nope. Does that mean there's not going to be struggle? Nope. He didn't promise that everything would be easy. He promised everything would be good. No good thing, he says in his word, will I withhold from you. That's what the word says. So he delighted in the Lord. Man, that's that, that's that focus that we want to have. That's that desire, loving God. And what happened? This delight in the Lord, the stability, the undivided heart, seeking God, brought on total revival. Oh, well, not necessarily total revival in the land. It brought total revival in Jehoshaphat. Man, I, I want revival here and in the church and in your lives and in our community. But more than I want it in all those places, I want it in me. I told you how to have revival come. You go into your prayer closet. And you draw a circle on the ground with a piece of chalk. And you stand in the circle and you pray, God, start revival in this circle. That's how revival comes. Man, that's, that's what he does. Look, here's how we see it. Moreover, he removed the high places and the wooden images from Judah. So here's how God would judge his kings. There were two chief sins. One of them is called uh, the sin of Jeroboam. Jeroboam introduced false religious system to the northern kingdom, and they worshipped other gods. So they're worshipping other things. The other thing is, in Judah... There were high places. High places are those little secret places that people would set up all around town that maybe they could go on, a, on, on Saturday to the temple and they'd worship and they'd look, you know, they wear all their, their fancy duds and they'd look good and they'd pray the right prayers and they'd offer the right offerings. But then later on, maybe on Tuesday or Thursday, they'd go to the high place. The high place was just in case, you know, that prayer don't work. I got to go over here and I'm going to give another offering to Baal. Or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dance around the pole for Asherah. Or I'm going to worship one of these other gods. And that was all done on the hilltops surrounding the towns. Out in the country. The Bible calls it the high places. And a lot of times when kings would come through and try to, to bring revival to the kingdom that they're ruling over. They would tear down the idols. But they wouldn't touch the high places. You know, let's leave those those little nooks and crannies alone. But when God works real revival, there's three kings that God works real revival through. Jehoshaphat is one of them, Hezekiah is another, and Josiah is the third. And they all have one thing in common. They're going to tear down the high places. They're going to clean out the nooks and crannies. But they got an undivided heart, right? It makes sense. They got a heart that wants to find God and, and seek after Him only. So, of course, they're going to remove all those things in the nooks and crannies in their closets. So, they take it all down. In the third year of his reign, he sent his leaders, Ben-Hale, Obadiah, Zechariah, Nethanel, Micaiah, to teach in the cities of Judah. And with them he sent Levites, Shimeiah, Nethaniah, Zebediah, Ashael, uh, Semiramoth, Je- uh, Jehonathan and Adonijah, Tobijah and Tobadonijah, the Levites, and with them Elishama and Jehoram, the priests. So he sends out a, a group of Levites. The Levites had a, a position. God gave the Levites a position. The position was to teach people about God. A lot of times people struggle with how we do church today. And they think, well, you know, here in the, in the Western Hemisphere, in America, we get it wrong or we're not doing it right. But, but what we're doing is biblical. The apostles, what do they do? They gathered people together and they taught. What did the people do? They received the word with all gladness, searched the scriptures daily to make sure it was so. And then they went out and made disciples of other people. They found people that they could pour into, people they could share with, people they could talk to. Look, I can only talk to so many people in a day. But if we all go out and try to talk to people in a day, we're going to reach more people, right? So that's how they did it. Look, Jehoshaphat said, men, the people need to know more about God. I'm growing, but I need to make sure they grow. So verse 9, so they taught in Judah 
They had the book of the law of the Lord with them. And they went throughout all the cities of Judah and taught the people. They taught them. Man, I know we all are busy. But the good news is, there is a Bible study here just about every night. Just about every night. There's Monday night men's study, women's studies, couple studies. There's couple studies on Wednesdays or couple studies on Fridays. There's uh, group studies on Tuesdays. There's every night, every night of the week. So, I mean, you can be swamped and have, but you, if, if it's a priority, if you love Jesus and you want to learn more about him, you can find somewhere you can have an opportunity to be taught, right? To grow, to be established in his word. Look, they went around and taught the people. Look what happened as a result. Verse 10, and the fear of the Lord fell on all the kingdoms. We talked about the fear of the Lord before. People try to sanctify that word. Just so you know, that word in Hebrew is a word, pachad. It means the terror. It don't mean a nice sanctified word of reverence. It means people were really afraid of God, so they left them alone. Judah had peace. That's what it's talking about. The fear of the Lord fell on all the kingdoms of the lands who were around Judah. So they did not make war against Jehoshaphat. They had peace. They had peace. People saw the reality of Almighty God working in Jehoshaphat's life and in the kingdom's life, and so they let him be. You know when they don't let you be? When the reality ain't there. When you talk... The talk, but you don't walk the walk. When when you are what so many other people are, uh, hypocritical. Sometime or another, we're all hypocritical, right? I mean, let's at least be honest. Everybody in here is a hypocrite. You know what that word means, right? Play actor, at some time you've pretended. You pretended. You said the the words you thought someone wanted to hear instead of the truth or whatever. We all have have had that issue in our life. We want the reality of our life to be the words that we speak. Yeah, that's a worthwhile cause. Undivided heart. Seek the Lord. Spend time in God's Word. Spend time being taught. That's what the Word says was happening in their life. It says in verse 11, Some of the Philistines brought Jehoshaphat presents. What? Usually they're at war with the Philistines. Now Philistines are bringing them presents and, and silver like tribute. And the Arabians, the Arabs, they, they brought them flocks. Uh, 7,700 rams, 7,700 male goats. So Jehoshaphat had increased. Instead of war, people are coming to him. Now when they would come with tribute, it's because they're coming to give to try to understand how is all this happening here. You guys remember the Queen of Sheba when Solomon was king and the kingdom's all crazy and things are going really good and people are following after the Lord and Solomon's been really blessed. Why did the Queen of Sheba come? She came to say, is this all true? Does God really work in people's lives today? So they came to see. That's all it means. It doesn't mean that if you walk with the Lord, people are going to come to your door and start giving you presents. When the Bible talks about people giving tribute, it means they were coming for answers. And if you wanted an answer from a king, you better bring them something to give. So you give them a present and you say to Jehoshaphat, Man, how come this is so different here? Well, why, why are you so, why is your life, why is your hope different from mine? You hear what I'm saying? So you have opportunity to share with your neighbors. Who were their neighbors? The Philistines. Did God love the Philistines? Sure. What about the Arabs? God loved the Arabs? Yep. Sure He did. Well, Jackie, you're crazy. For God so loved what? Thank you. Are they in the world? So that makes them a part of the world, right? So I'm glad we were able to clear that up. So God loves them. So, verse 12. So Jehoshaphat became increasingly powerful and he built fortresses and stored cities in Judah. He had a lot of property in the cities of Judah and men of war and mighty men of valor were in Jerusalem. What's that saying? It's saying that people, mighty men, strong men, people strong in the Lord and people strong with courage and bravery began to flock to him. Just like they did to David. Why did they come to David? 
David is a, is a crazy concept. He's a warrior and a worshiper. Have you ever met that? He was a poet. Yet he killed more than Saul. David has killed his tens of thousands. And Saul just his thousands. And back then it wasn't a guy sitting in an office somewhere telling somebody to push a button and it launched a missile and a bunch of people blew up. How do people die in Bible days? It was one-on-one, right? Face-to-face. So, David was a warrior, but David was a man after God's own heart, and he was a poet, and he wrote songs, and he would, and he would weep. Just weep. Break down weeping. But people saw the reality of God in his life, and they flocked to him. His neighbors would come to him, bring tribute. Ask questions. How did you get like this? His his mighty men, people who wanted to walk with the Lord and be with the Lord, they come around him. That same thing that's going on with Jehoshaphat, man. Mighty men are coming to him. They're flocking to him. These are their numbers according to their father's houses. Of Judah, the captain of thousands. Adna, the captain uh, <clears throat> with him, 300,000 mighty men of, of valor. Next to him was Jehonan, the captain, and with him, 280,000. And next to him was Amasiah, the son of Zikri, who willingly offered himself to the Lord. Well, why would the Bible just randomly throw that in there? Man, because these guys are coming and seeing in the example in Jehoshaphat, And that example is leading them to do and make the same choices in their life. I was uh, reading a book this past week. I'm almost always reading a book of something somewhere. And one of the stories this fellow was sharing was, was of his mom. His mom wrote him a letter every day. Um... Till she died. And in that letter, she would always write him some uh, scripture, some encouraging verse that God laid on her heart. And that, that carried him through all the crazy choices in his life. He's now a pretty good theologian and served as a pastor for 33 years in a church and and it accomplished a lot of great things. Not because somebody was cracking a whip over him. He had a mom who was praying for him and pouring into him. And she can't do that if it's not real. Right? If it's real, I can do it. If it, I can't fake it. Right? Not forever. But if it's real, if my love of Christ is real and my walk with Christ is real, it's going to spread to my kids. Going to spread to them. Doesn't mean they'll always make right choices. It just means they'll always know where the right answers are. And the end result will be good. Same, this guy willingly offered himself to the Lord as an example of what he sees in Jehoshaphat. With him was 200,000 mighty men. A Benjamin, Elada, the mighty man of valor, with him 200,000 men armed with bow and shield. And next to him was Jehoshaphat. And with him, 180,000 prepared for war. And by the way, for those of you maybe are having kids or thinking about having kids, there's great Bible names all the way through here. I didn't know if you were paying attention, but if you're looking for a name, you know, Jehoshaphat would be kind of cool. You don't hear those all the time. Your kid will not be in class and, and be confused with another Jehoshaphat. Just saying, you can take my advice or leave it. It's, what you, it's worth what you paid for it. And these... Serve the king beside those the king put in a fortified city throughout all Judah. So we see the people gathering around him. Good stuff happening. But do you know that God's people and good people um, make mistakes? We'll find out. Chapter 18. Jehoshaphat had riches and honor and abundance. And by marriage, he allied himself with Ahab. For those of you who don't know, Ahab is a putz. He is in the northern kingdom, bad king, hates God, kills God's prophets. Um, just, a, he's a dirtbag. He married to a woman named Jezebel. Yeah, if you know the name Jezebel from the book of Revelation. 
The original Jezebel was married to Ahab. So this guy, bad guy, not a good guy, and Jehoshaphat aligns himself with him. Now, the Bible's going to tell us why. The Bible's going to say he aligned himself in marriage. Jehoshaphat didn't marry Ahab. That's not what it means. It means that Jehoshaphat's son, Jehoram, married Ahab's daughter. Now, just because your son marries Ahab's daughter doesn't mean you've got to take the whole nation and join them. Does it? So, Jehoshaphat's doing pretty good, but he, he kind of makes a boneheaded play. Let's look at it. And some, after some years, he went down to visit Ahab in Samaria. And Ahab killed sheep and oxen in abundance for him and the people who, who were with him and persuaded him to go up with him to Ramoth Gilead. Now, Ahab's constantly fighting wars. Jehoshaphat's got peace. He's walking with the Lord. He's trucking with God. God's helping him out. But, but, but Ahab, he's in rebellion and things are not so good for him. So Ahab talks Jehoshaphat into helping him fight a war in Ramoth Gilead. So it says, he answered him, I am as you are. My people are as your people. Uh, we will be with you in the war. So Jehoshaphat says, I'll go with you. So Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Please inquire for the word of the Lord today. So let's check with God, see what God wants. So at least Jehoshaphat still like wants to do what God wants. Look, so the king of Israel, listen, gathered prophets together, 400 And he said to them, Shall we go to war with Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? And they said, Go up, for God will deliver it into the king's hand. Well, so the prophets are are giving them a thumbs up, right? You remember when I told you what Ahab did to the prophets? He killed them. So who are these guys? Uh, Those are prophets of Baal. Remember how it said Jehoshaphat didn't seek after Baal? These aren't God's prophets. What do you mean? Look at the next verse. Jehoshaphat said, Is there still not a prophet of the Lord? You see that word Lord, capital L-O-R-D? That means it's God's proper name. Do you know God had a proper name? His name's not God. God's name is Yahweh, Y-H-V-H. Yehovah, Yahweh. We don't know, because in the ancient Hebrew dialect, you only wrote the consonants. He didn't write the vowels. So, whenever the Bible translates that, Y-H-V-H, it's capital L-O-R-D. It means God's proper name. So there can be no doubt, who's Jehoshaphat asking for? A prophet of God Almighty. Do you still have a prophet of God Almighty? No, Ahab's been killing him. But he asked for one. So, the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is still one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord. You see, he used the same name. But I hate him. Oh, that's a good way to start. Because he never says anything good about me. Oh, golly, I'm sorry. But always evil. He is Micaiah, the son of Imla. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say such things. Jehoshaphat, don't talk like that, Ahab. Don't talk like that. So Ahab says, I don't like him because he tells me the truth. And when you don't like the truth, you're not going to like the messenger who gives the truth. Well, and that's what's going on. Ahab killed all the prophets. There's one guy left in the, in the, in the area who will tell him what God has to say. Jehoshaphat's going to want to hear from him. Je- Jehoshaphat wants to know what God says, not what Baal, not what the liars say, not what the false prophets say. What's God Almighty say? So, the king of Israel called one of his officers and said, Bring Micaiah, the son of Imla, quickly. And the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, clothed in their robes, so each, or sat each on his throne, and they sat at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets prophesied before them. So you got all these false prophets, prophets of Baal. Those are the guys Elijah killed by the sword. You guys know what I'm talking about? The story? Anyway, they're all prophesying. So they're hoopla and they're running up to the kings. And they're saying, oh, is it always helpful to have people who just tell you how great you are all the time? I mean, if you want to hear from God's word, do you just want to hear how great you are? Or do you want to know the truth? If you're doing okay, if the choice you're making is okay, do you want to know the truth? Because the truth is in the word. 
Remember the beginning we started with? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh. Who became flesh? Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 19 says He is the Word of God. He has that name written on Him. The Word of God. So He's the Word. What else did Jesus say? Jesus told us in John that I am the way, the truth, and the life. You want to know the truth? It's right there. You may not like it. And that was Ahab's problem. So all the priests jumping up and down. Oh, Ahab, you're so wonderful. Ahab, you're going to just whoop these guys. You're just going to smoke them. You're going to wipe them out. It's not going to be any problem, man. You need to go. Go do it. Go do it. So that's what's going on. They're standing before him. They're both sitting in their thrones. It says, now, Zedekiah, the son of Chennai, had made horns of iron for himself. And he said, thus says the Lord. Now, he uses God's name. With these you will gore the Syrians until they are destroyed. So he made some horns of iron. I want you to picture it. Puts them on his head. He runs around like he's goring people. No, with these you're going to gore God's enemies. God's going to give you the victory. Just because someone can act like a fool doesn't mean they're speaking for God, does it? Does God sometimes use foolish things to confound the wise? Yeah. But just because it's foolish doesn't mean it's God. Well, so he's running around with horns on his head. The Assyrians, you're going to wipe them out. And all the prophets prophesied so. Go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the king's hand. So now all the prophets are not just saying God. Now they're using God's name. They don't worship God. They're not God's prophets. They're not Levites. They're not given the role of, of taking care of the temple. The temple was in Jerusalem, not in the northern kingdom. These guys are imitators. Make believers, not real believers. So they're just saying what they think the king wants to hear. That makes you popular. The king wants to have you there. gives you money, hooks you up. That's what these guys are all about. So, messenger who had gone to call Micaiah spoke to him and said, Now, listen the words of the prophets of one accord and encourage the king. Therefore, please, let your word be like the word of them and speak encouragement. So they tell the prophet, the real guy, When you go in here and talk to the king, just say what everybody else is saying. They're not for real, right? You get that? But God, does God speak to his people or not? God who has spoken in various ways, diverse places and times past through the prophets, as in these last days spoken to us, how? By his son. Does God speak to his people? Yeah. God speaks. So... Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, whatever God says, I'll say it. So they came to the king, and the king said, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? I love this. I love that the Bible has people with sarcasm. Because I feel like I have a place. I feel like uh, one of the many gifts I can offer is sarcasm. Now, not everybody can appreciate sarcasm, especially really good sarcasm. In fact, sometimes really good sarcasm comes across and people don't even know you're being sarcastic. That's some of the better sarcasm. Well, look, this, I want you to see the sarcasm here. Look. And he said, go and prosper, for they will be delivered into your hand. Now, how do we know that sarcasm? Because we're going to keep reading. So the king said... How many times do I have to make you swear that you'll tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? So Ahab understood it was sarcasm, right? Ahab said, look, Micaiah, tell me the truth. Tell me the truth. So, he said, I saw all of Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep that have no shepherd. Does that sound like victory? That doesn't sound good. And sheep without a shepherd means something happened to the shepherd, right? So, in this, in that, in that example, who's the shepherd of the northern kingdom? Ahab, right? It's not good, Ahab. This is bad news. It's bad news. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let them return to their house in peace. So he's saying, Ahab, if you go to war, you're going to die. There'll be no king. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he would not say nothing nice? Is this not ridiculous? 
Oh, tell me the truth. Please tell me the truth. Oh, wait, wait, I'm going to die? Oh, I told you he can't say nothing nice. Look, he's just telling you the truth. And some people don't want to hear the truth. They just don't want to hear it. They want to live with the blinders on. Is that good? Is that healthy? Is it loving to allow them? The Bible says, if I love my kids, I will discipline them promptly. True or false? So, if I just turn a blind eye so there will be peace in the house, is it loving? So loving means, sometimes i got to tell my kids, hey, that's not okay. i got to discipline them now, not two months from now. Now, hey... That's not good. Does the Bible say that God disciplines the ones He loves? That's right. He says it's loving to discipline, to correct. To correct. Well, let me put it to you in in a simpler form. Let's say that on your way out tonight, you're you're walking out and you go through that door. And as you go through that door, you, you catch your foot on the carpet, you fall, and you bust your hip. And you're laying on the ground with a busted hip. Now, I've heard that that's... Pretty painful. Is it loving for us just to leave you with a busted hip? Is it loving to say, you know, we're not going to set it. We don't want it to, because that'll hurt, right? You ever had a busted bone? You ever fell off a swing set when you were a kid and got up and your arm was crooked? Nobody ever had that? Okay, so when you go to the doctor, by the time you get to the doctor with your little U-shaped arm, the the doctor um, is going to make it straight. By the way, just for those of you who don't know, it hurts. But it's good, isn't it? Unloving would be to leave the crooked arm, right? Loving's going to make it straight. That's discipline. That's God's discipline. That's the truth. The truth is not always pleasant, but it's always good. And if I don't like the truth, the problem's not the truth. The problem is me. <laughs> I align myself to the truth. Well, anyway, the king don't like it. He said, I told you you're not going to say nothing good. So Micaiah said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, who will persuade Ahab? king of Israel, to go to Ramoth Gilead. So one spoke this way and another spoke that way. So a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I'll persuade him. And the Lord said, how will you persuade him? And he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophets. And the Lord said, okay, go. And, and also prevail, go out and do so. Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit into the prophets. All those guys who are talking. And the Lord has declared disaster against you. Now before you get yourself all bent out of shape. What is this all talking about? God just told them. Are you hearing me? So God said. We got to get Ahab to go to Ramoth Gilead. Judgment is awaiting for him. and I, uh, It's judgment day for, for Ahab. Does everybody face the judgment day? It's appointed under man wants to die. And then what? So does everybody face the judgment day? Everybody face the judgment day. Okay, Ahab's judgment day has come. God says, we've got to get him down there. How are we going to get him down there? A spirit. The Bible doesn't say it's an elect angel. The, does the devil have access to heaven today? We're not sure. Then the book of Job, it says that, that the sons of God, the angels, were passing before the Lord, and the devil was there. And God said to the devil, consider my servant Job. You guys remember the story? So does the devil have access to heaven today? Sure. He is called Satan. Satan means the accuser. He is called in the Bible the accuser of the brethren. Why? Because he accuses us day and night. So Satan's up there telling Jesus what a bunch of losers we are every day, all day long. Revelation chapter 12 says one day God's going to look over at Michael and he's going to say, Michael, dude, uh, this guy is giving me a headache. Would you please throw him out of here? Then... Satan won't be in heaven no more. Michael will walk over, grab him by the nap of the neck. There's not some crazy battle. Michael goes over, grabs Satan, and chucks him 
out of heaven to the earth and all kind of crazy things happen. That's the book of Revelation. We won't get into that. So Satan's in heaven. He's the accuser. So God's looking for a way to get Ahab down. One of Satan's dudes, maybe Satan himself, says, Hey, I'll go down and lie to him. So God says, Go. So he goes. Did God tell Ahab they were lying to him? Yep. Did God tell Ahab the truth? Yep. Did God say, if you go there, you're going to die? Yep. Did Ahab go? Oh, I haven't got that part of the story yet. But, well, I think you get the idea. He's going to go. So, Zedekiah, the son of Chaniah, went near and punched Micaiah on the cheek. And said, which way did the Spirit of the Lord go from me to speak to you? So they punch him in the mouth. The other prophets that he just called liars, they punch him in the mouth. Now how will we know which one's lying? By what happens, right? If the guy's saying you're going to win, and they don't win, they were lying. Agreed? Okay, so we'll find out. So the king of Israel said, take Micaiah and return him to Amon, the governor of the city, to Joash, the king's son, and say, thus says the king... Put him in prison, feed him with the bread of affliction and the water of affliction until I return in peace. Well, Micaiah said, as they're dragging him off into prison, if you ever come back, if you ever return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And so he said, take heed. So the prophet, I want you to see the picture. They're dragging the real prophet out. The real prophet says, look, if he comes back, I'm a liar. But you all listen. If he don't come back, I was telling the truth. So they throw him in prison. That's, by the way, what they always do to God's prophets. Where's Pastor Saeed right now? Where's that? In prison. Is that something new? No. Not something new. See it here in the pages here. So, here's what happened. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went to Ramoth Gilead. Now, i got a big why written in my Bible. Jehoshaphat, you know, God's prophet just said, don't go. I don't understand it. But he goes. And on top of that, Jehoshaphat is not bright. How do I know he's not bright? Look, the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle. You put on your robes. Anybody here ever play chess? So if you're playing chess and you're trying to beat the other guy, what player are you trying to capture? The king. So I want you to imagine now, you are two kings, we're going to fight together. And one of the kings says, hey, I'm going to wear a disguise so nobody knows I'm the king. But you go ahead and wear your kingly stuff. Is it not stupid? Oh, okay. Oh my gosh, I just don't understand. But that's what he does. So the king of Israel disguised himself and they went to battle. The king of Syria had told the captains of the chariots that were with him, don't fight anybody, small or great, kill the king. Oh, bad day for Jehoshaphat, right? So, so it was when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat that they said, it's a king of Israel. Now it wasn't, it was the king of Judah. But nobody else is dressed like a king. So, of course, they would assume it's him. So they surrounded him to attack him. What did Jehoshaphat do? What should you do if you find yourself in a place that God told you not to be, and it's all going south? What should you do? That's what he does. Jehoshaphat cried out to the Lord, and the Lord helped him. I love that. Jehoshaphat shouldn't be there. He shouldn't have been so dumb. He shouldn't have made... A deal with Ahab. He he should have sniffed out that there were his issues. But when he found himself in trouble, he called out to God, and God did not say, "You know what, Jehoshaphat, you're 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 dumb. You got to go." When I was younger, I was not very patient, and my oldest boy was pretty little. I don't remember for sure how little he was. But we were doing some work on the house and I had some live wires sticking out of the wall. And every time I turned around, JC was over there trying to touch the live wires. And I kept saying, now, I don't know why I'm not mad at myself, 
why do you have live wires sticking out of the wall? Apparently, in my mind, that part of stupidity was okay, but JC's wasn't. So JC's over there reaching steady, reaching to touch the wire, reaching to touch the wires. Uh, I lost it. You guys ever done that? And I said, JC, if you touch those wires, they're going to kill you. And you're going to go to heaven, and God's going to say, you cannot say, you cannot stay because you're stupid. And so they mailed me the Father of the Year award that year. God doesn't do that. God doesn't do that. We all find ourselves in bad spots because we're dumb. He calls us sheep. You spend a lot of time studying sheep? They're not the most brilliant animal on the face of the earth. And you know, this is sometimes hard for guys to understand. They're also not the most fearsome. Oh, I'm the meanest sheep here. Well, yippee. Hey, congratulations, Sparky. You're the toughest sheep. The the first dog is going to take you down. Not so bright. Not so tough. But we call out to God and He's there for us. So look what happens. So it was when the captains of the chariots saw that it wasn't the king of Israel. Now, I don't know how they saw. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think sometimes there's some... Some humor here that we miss. Maybe Jehoshaphat started screaming and stripping his stuff off. How about Ahab? They throw his crown, you know, I don't know. But at some point they figure out it's not Ahab. It says then they turn back from pursuing him. Verse 33. Now a certain man drew a bow at random. He just shot an arrow into the air. And it struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. Look, there's no avoiding Judgment Day. You can hide, wear disguise, and some dude just shooting an arrow up into the air. The arrow finds a gap in your armor. I mean, what are the odds? It was his day. So he said to the driver of the chariot, Turn around and take me out of the battle, for I am wounded. And the battle increased that day, and the king of Israel propped himself in his chariot, facing the Syrians until evening. And about the time of sunset, he died. That was, that was the end for Ahab. Jehoshaphat shouldn't have been there, but God spares him. Next chapter, God's got a, some encouragement to give to Jehoshaphat to try to keep him out of more situations like that. He's going to send a prophet to talk to him. But we see the reality of life, right? You guys hear what I'm saying? I mean, you got you got good days and bad days. You got days when you have great success and you're doing good and you're trusting in God and, and days that you mess up. What's God's Word tell us? First John 1, 9 did not cease being true. If we confess our sins, what happens? God's faithful to do what? Forgive us. And cleanse us all in righteousness, and we'll be right where we need to be. There's no avoiding judgment day. It is appointed unto man who wants to die in judgment. Uh, I often get into conversations about that verse. Give me, let me give you a, a quick uh, a point on it. It is a proverb. A proverb is a general truth. The point of the proverb is the part that we cling to. What is the point of the proverb? How many times you're supposed to die? Or Judgment Day. The point of the proverb is Judgment Day. How do I know that? Has there ever been anybody who died more than once? What about it? Has there, has there ever been somebody who didn't die? Okay. Well, that's usually where we like to slot people. Well, Enoch and Elijah didn't die, so they must be the witnesses. The point of the parable is judgment. You won't escape judgment. Lazarus died. Jesus raised him from the dead. What happened? He died again. How many times is that? Twice. Is that the only person Jesus raised from the dead? Jairus' daughter, a little girl, died. Jesus spoke to her, raised her from the dead. What happened? She died again. There was a guy, a funeral procession with a widow walking out of the city one day. Jesus was walking in. He reached over and touched the casket, raised the guy 
to life. He just pops up out of the the people who are carrying him. I'm sure it was a crazy moment to, to see what happened. He died again. It's only one person who ever rose from the dead and never died again. Jesus. Now, the Bible says, absent from the body is what? Present with the Lord. What happens that moment? Judgment. What? And not your sins. Jesus paid the price for your sins on the cross. Right? It's called the Bema Judgment. Every Christian will face judgment. You'll stand before God and God will say, I gave you everything. What would you do? Show me. I gave you 70 years. I gave you a beautiful family and children. I gave you whatever He gave. What would you do? Jesus tells a story. There were three guys. The Master gave one five talents. To another, two talents. To the third, one talent. Right? You know the story? Master went away for a long time, but the day of reckoning came. Didn't it? What would you do with what I gave you? Sabimacy. It's not a judgment of salvation, lost or saved. It's a judgment of what you did with what Jesus gave you. But if you don't know Jesus, that's the great white throne judgment. That's a judgment for salvation. If you reject Jesus Christ as your Savior, there is no salvation. There is only the expectancy of, of eternal judgment. It is appointed unto man to die and face judgment. Judgment day comes for everybody. We should be ready for it, don't you think? We should be prepared. Hold fast to the truth of God's word. Learn from the examples of those who went before so that we might also walk with him. And then we, too, like Jehoshaphat, we won't be perfect. But in the book that God opens of our lives, it's going to say, Oh, look right here. Look at this. Oh, this this was one of my kids. Oh, they followed me with an undivided heart. They sought after me. They served me in whatever ways. And you hear, well done, good and faithful servant, right? Are there, th- are there those there who won't hear that? The Bible says some people will be saved though as by fire. That means still have the smell of smoke. You just barely made it. Others will hear the phrase, well done. Everybody gets the same. One life. You get to make all your own choices. What are you going to do with it? The stuff we do for Christ, that's lasting. And it matters.